The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Uh, good morning. How are you doing? Good. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. That's the last book of your Old Testament. We're going to finish up Malachi today, which means we're finishing up our summer series called A Summer to Remember, where the, the minor prophets that we looked at, many minor prophets. And so we are ready to wrap up this series and begin our, our New Testament series in the fall or two weeks from now will be 1 Corinthians. So we'll be studying First and Second Corinthians. And so you can go ahead and start reading that. But last week, man, did the Lord uh, do a work in our hearts. I mean, it was, uh, it was brutal, but it was great, right? It was terribly awesome or something like that. The full understanding of the word awesome. Uh, the Lord challenged us last week through Malachi to say, do not come in here with your lame worship. And he's really called us back to the flame is what we're, what we're seeing, the analogy being used is the gospel flame, the flame that we were just singing about, the flame being that your affections are warmed by the gospel, that we are saved by grace, and that the more we understand how undeserved we are of forgiveness, the more grace is is. an important part of our life, the more it warms our heart, the more that we are living a life of worship that is motivated by that affection for Christ because we are so thankful for what he's done in our heart. And and what happens though is uh, there's a flame burning, but we, we tend to subtly day by day as struggles happen, as life happens, as frustrations happen, as we get busy, we kind of step away from the flame just subtly. And then we're doing life begrudgingly. We get cynical. We get frustrated. And, we, and our worship gets lame. And we just come up in here going through the motions and leave. And, and we lose the power. And, and the Lord says, shut the door. Don't come in here with that lame worship. Whatever it takes, do business, confess it, that's the first step, admit that that's what's going on, and then repent. That means to change, and that that looks like getting back to the flame and, and remembering what Christ has done for us and praying to the Lord. Ask the Spirit of God to warm your heart, warm your affections to what the gospel implications are in your life, that that, that would become the joy of your heart. And that that joy would fuel your life of doing what God's called you to do. Uh, As we just saw in Ephesians, it's described as carrying out the good deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. That God has great work for you to do, but it's not to be done begrudgingly. It's to be done with a gratitude, a thanksgiving for his incredible grace in our life. And, And it just is a great reminder. And so Malachi has been warning us. The prophets have been warning us to remember the Lord in the busyness of life, in the hustle and bustle of getting ready to go back to school and and, and all that's going on. The the prophets in Malachi have been saying, remember the Lord, and they all like to remind us of the coming day of the Lord. Often in the Bible, it's referred to as the terrible day of the Lord. And that day is a day when Christ comes again and he brings his judgment against his enemies. But that same day is not only a terrible day of judgment 
We, we see the flame analogy in the, in the scriptures. It's not only a tail, terrible day of judgment where the flame is burning up his enemies, but it's also a glorious day of salvation and restoration and refining of God's people. Those who are in Christ, we see, will survive that day and not only survive, but be refined and thrive into glorious glory bearers to the glory of God for eternity. And so the prophets call us to remember that day and that day should be a, an accountability that keeps us faithful in the duration as we wait for that day to come. And so today we're going to look at four more warnings. We covered two last week and I saw on the website it was 50 minutes for two. And so today we've got four. So hope you aren't hungry uh, come on. No, I'm not going to go that long. I'm going to, I wish I had taken more time, but we've got it scheduled out. But I'll try for this to, to not be too, too rushed. But we're going to look at four warnings that Malachi builds on from last week to say, hey, remember these things. And this is a gift from God. These warnings uh, are a gift because they keep us, they keep nudging us back to the place of blessing, to the place of joy, to the place where God wants us. So we're not wandering off the, uh, the edge of a cliff. Let me ask the Lord uh, to help us this morning. Father, we, we want your spirit desperately to move in our hearts. Uh, we need your spirit to work, uh, to take this, the truths of your scriptures and to crack open our hardened hearts and to, to, to drive it deep within our hearts so that there is a change that we that we admit where we need to change and we 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 bring that sin to you and we trust that you will forgive by the blood of Jesus and that you will ignite the flame in our heart of of joy for our salvation and joy for the grace and forgiveness that we have in Christ and that will fuel our worship and our life of worship so do that in our hearts please this morning as we look at some very challenging difficult subjects, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So Malachi is going to hit us where it hurts. First of all, he's going to hit us with our failures in our marriages, and then he's going to hit us with the failures of our attitudes where we all get cynical, and then if that's not enough, he's like, well, let me just kick them one more time while they're down, and let me hit them where their wallet, let's talk about how you deal with your money. And so, yeah, that's right, so buckle up. Here we go, warning number three. Remember, these are meant as blessings because they bring us back into the place of enjoying God. But he says, number three, warning three, honor God in your marriage. As you wait for the Lord, honor God in your marriage. Look at chapter two, verse 10. We're in Malachi two, verse 10. It's just so interesting. The logic of this text is nothing what I would write. I mean, it's just not the way I would think. I already told you he's talking about marriage, but look where he starts. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Listen to the litany of charges. Faithless to one another within the body, the covenant community. We're we're faithless profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in the holy city, Jerusalem. 
for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Pause there. If I didn't tell you what, was going, what the subject was, we'd be like, what in the world have they done? Something terrible, something grotesque, that it's an abomination. It's profaning the temple. It's breaking covenant with the community of faith. What in the world is it that could be so bad... That, that he would lay this litany of charges against them. You've been faithless to your covenant community in, in New Testament language. You've been sinning against the body of Christ. You've been sinning against God. You've been making a mockery of church and of worship. And you say, what, what have we been doing? And that's the nature of this back and forth that God's having with them. What, what have we been doing that's so terrible? Verse 11, you've married the daughter of a foreign God. And the Lord says, and may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who marries a daughter of a foreign God, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You, bring, you, you marry an unbeliever and then you bring an offering to worship to me? You've married a woman who doesn't worship me, and yet you want to bring worship to me? Verse 13, and the second thing you do, you come into my altar and you cover it with tears, with weeping and groaning. Why? Because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why doesn't he accept our offerings? And he says, because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. And though she is your faithful companion, your wife by covenant, though she's been faithful, you have been faithless to her. And so you bring me your offering and I say, I'm not, I'm not pleased with this. And you say, why aren't you pleased with my offering? And he says, are you kidding me? Look at your unfaithfulness in your marriage. And then he gets to the reason. Did, did God not make them one in that marriage? With a portion of the spirit in their union. Husband, wife, God. In the union of the marriage. And you wonder why I'm not pleased? You wonder why I have no regard for your offering? You want to come up here and give me your lame worship? And you want to know why I'm not pleased with it? I'm a part of your marriage. And you're being unfaithful. I don't, I don't play. Don't come in here with that. But then look at the logic I, I, I see next. He says, I'm one a port, with a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking in all of this? What was the one God seeking in this? Why did God bring you into covenant relationship as a marriage? Why did God make you a covenant people? Why did God come into covenant with you individually, put you into covenant with this body of Christ, and put you and your spouse into a covenant relationship with himself? Why is he doing that? Godly offspring. Is that how we think? The very reason was for godly offspring. 
So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So what are the charges here? What's going on? Well, just very practically, you see three ways that these men primarily are being unfaithful to their faithful wives, individually speaking, a man was being unfaithful to his wife who was a covenant wife of Israel, who was a God-fearing woman who had been faithful. First of all, they were marrying unbelievers. They were marrying unbelievers, women that didn't even believe in God, didn't even trust God, and they were marrying them. Number two, they were being unfaithful to their faithful wives of Israel. Those who did marry a covenant wife from Israel who was a God-fearing woman was being faithful. They were being unfaithful to them. And then number three, they were divorcing their faithful wives. And so most likely, some of them were probably, most of them were doing all three of these. They married a woman from Israel. And then they started to have either multiple wives or they divorced their wife and began to enter into marriages with these ungodly pagan women who didn't even worship their God. And God says, you're doing all that and you want to come into my presence and worship me and give me your lame worship and you expect me to accept this? I've got no regard for this. And they see the impact of the sin in their life and so they're weeping and wailing, oh God, why aren't you pleased with me? And he says, seriously, do you not realize the whole point of these three covenant relationships? Covenant individually with God, covenant with the body of the other covenant believers, and the covenant marriage between husband, wife, and spouse. Do you not realize that all of this is so that you may raise worshipers? If that's the whole point, don't you understand why God says, I cannot accept your worship when you don't take this seriously. The Lord says, this is an abomination. Of course, it's an abomination against the faithful covenant wife, but it's also an abomination against the covenant people, the church, family in New Testament language. And it's an abomination against God who is a member of your covenant marriage. I could spend a week on just these verses, but let me just, for the sake of time, focus on verse 15. In verse 15, we see something very important that's at the root purpose of these covenant relationships with God, with each other, and with the spouse. Did he not make them, husband and wife, one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you, faith, let none of you be faithless to, your, to the wife of your youth. So this is not just a contract between a man and a woman. Marriage is not just a contract between a man and a woman. Marriage is a covenant between a 
husband, a man, a woman, and God himself. He is a member of that covenant union. And the very purpose of that covenant relationship is worship. When you go back to Genesis, God created man. He's alone. He says, worship me. But here's a worship helper. A wife is to be a worship partner. It's the same reason God gives you a church family. We are to be worship partners. God says the very central purpose of you existing as a covenant people, a body of people in relationship with Christ, and if among those people you have the most of intimate friendships which becomes a marriage, a covenant marriage, all of that is meant to produce godly offspring. The next generation of worshipers. None of us, I would guess, realize how significant marriage, church, and parenting is in the plan of God. We're all looking for something great to do to the glory of God. And he's given us church, marriage, and parenting as tremendous responsibilities to say this is how I am going to fill the earth with worshipers it's through the covenant church family and through your covenant relationships in there and your covenant marriage which then if God blesses you with children your covenant responsibility to raise them to nourish to to worship God to nourish them to treasure Christ I had an awesome time this, this week, lunch with a friend, and we were talking through some things, and, and he was wrestling with this very thing right after I'd written this and studied this godly offspring that was just hitting me with the significance of that, that parenting, that gift, and that responsibility. And he was struggling with what has God called me to do and feeling almost guilty for focusing so much on raising his children. And I watched as the Spirit brought freedom to his, to his heart as I reminded him, there is nothing more significant for you and no higher calling for you in this season of your life than to raise your kids to love Jesus. I said, man, don't feel bad for taking your son fishing. Fish with him, brother. And when you get a hook in your finger and he sees what comes out of your mouth, you confess that sin in front of him. And you tell them, man, that's why I need Jesus. And you preach the gospel in every aspect of your life. But that's this season. And when those kids are gone, kind of the season that we're going into, it's going to look radically different. But there is a season where God has given you this brief window where these kids, are, their hearts are open to your instruction. Use it to re. Mind them of this gospel flame in everything they do. So if you're not married and you're praying for a spouse, do not even think about dating an unbeliever. Because marriage is all about worshiping God and creating the next generation of worshipers. How dare you bring an unbelieving God? How dare you bring a God into this covenant family and into your covenant relationship between you and God? God does not enter into union with unbelievers who do not worship him. 
If you are married, you must be committed to faithfulness in your marriage. You must stay at the flame. Keep the flame of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ burning. Let those embers fan those flames, kindle those flames. Keep bragging your, dragging your spouse and yourself back to the flame. Do not grow cold in your affections for Christ. Do whatever it takes. You take, cut through all the busyness of life and all the competing priorities and you make a commitment that you and your wife and your kids are going to huddle around the gospel flame and keep that burning bright in your life. And you understand there is no greater calling than raising those kids to stay at the flame their whole life. Now, if you've been through a divorce, let me address you. I have failed in my marriage so many ways. I just don't have a court document recorded at the courthouse about it. All of us fail. And let me tell you what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to take that failure and say, you can't honor me anymore. And that's a lie from Satan. And your conscience is working against you. There's a lot working against you. Don't believe the lie. Because here's what happens. As we take our failures, whether it's pornography, adultery, divorce, or just a marriage that is flat out together in name only, whatever it is, as we take those failures to the flame... And we remember that God does not condemn us for that. That Jesus Christ forgives us for that. We should be the most inflamed worshipers of all. Satan says, that sin marginalizes you. And the gospel says, that sin empowers you. That sin should inflame your worship. You should, as you are reminded of that sin in your marriage, you should be inflamed by the grace of God that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Admit it, repent of it, and then go worship God in your marriage and quit making excuses. So warning number three, honor God in your marriage. Church, Marriage and parenting is a way bigger deal than you could ever imagine. Warning number four. Don't grow cynical. This gets at the root heart attitude underlying a lot of these problems that we're talking about. Malachi 2.17, don't grow cynical. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. These people, I mean... Sin is deceitful. Sin is blinding. Left and right, Israel's just going, what are you talking about? You, you've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or you ask, where's the God of justice? And so here you, 
you, you hear from their words, their cynical hearts, their attitudes have grown so distrusting and so pessimistic. And this is, this is what happens to us when we go through difficulties and we're not near the flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We look around us and we get so, so cold and, and so pessimistic and so hopeless and so just in general, a distrustful heart towards everyone, especially towards what God is doing. A cynic is someone who says things that aren't true, like everyone who does evil is good. God blesses them. There's no justice. There's no hope for Shreveport. I'm not going to trust you. I don't think anything good can happen here. God, you just bless all the wicked and hear those who are trying to be faithful. There's no blessings for us. That is a cynical heart. And that's what happens in this life, in this world, when we move away from the flame. And so what does Malachi, or what does the Lord say to the, this cynical heart? The Lord responds in chapter 3, verse 1. But basically saying, no, God says you can still trust him. He's working. 3, 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. He's referring to John the Baptist. I'll send John the Baptist. He's talking to them back in B.C. saying, I'm going to send John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will then suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant, Jesus, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So first he says, you're growing cynical, but let me remind you, I'm still on my throne. I'm still working. I'm still faithful. Don't get this distrusting attitude. You can trust me. But then skip down to verse five. The Lord continues. Then, now he's talking about the second coming of the Lord. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the evildoers, against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. He says, you th- where is justice? It's coming, brother, it's coming. Don't grow cynical. But then he says, now, let's let's get underneath that cynical heart. Let's get at what's really going on when you get cynical. He says, let me humble you just for a minute. See, when we get cynical, we're looking at everyone else like, I've arrived, and what's wrong with these people? And I'm getting tired of it. The Lord's not doing anything about them. And I'm not trusting them anymore. There's no hope. I'm done with them. And the Lord says, all right, let's, let's revisit this for a minute. Back up to chapter 3, verse 2 through 4. The Lord says, let me humble you. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? It's like, you want Jesus to come and get, establish his justice? Now, wait a minute. Are you think you're going to be good on that day? Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi. And he will refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. And as in the former years. 
So the Lord addresses our cynical hearts first by saying, I'm still working. I'm still coming. I will establish justice. But as you grow cynical and think that everyone else needs work, let me remind you that when the Lord comes, he's not only going to have an effect, his flame is not only going to affect those unbelievers, but it's also going to do a, a lot of work in your own heart. You still have a lot of filth that needs to be dealt with. And so the flame has that dual effect. It, it burns away all those who are enemies, but it also cleanses and, and works a holiness in the lives of his people. And he's telling us as we go cynical, draw back to the flame. And as you draw back to the gospel flame of Jesus, you'll be reminded of just how much refinement you need. And then you won't be so quick to, to judge others and grow cynical. The refiner takes the silver and gold and, and puts it to the flame and it burns all the dross away and it leaves a pure product left. The, the, the fuller's soap was a very strong lye that was, that was put on cloth and then the cloth was laid out and it was beaten and that was the way it was cleansed. And so he's saying, this is what you have when you draw near to the flame. So let's not be so quick to call the flame down. But as you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you do business in your own heart and you admit that sin, God, and then you repent of that in thankfulness that, that Christ covers that sin, you are then lifted your eyes to spread that grace instead of being cynical. In Malachi 3, 6, he gives us that, that reminder of for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Your only hope of not being consumed on that day is the flame of the grace that God has given you in Jesus Christ. And that fights cynicism in our heart. So we find our fifth warning in 317, uh, 3.7 through 12 where we see their cynicism was affecting their wallets. As if he hadn't hit us enough, honor God in your marriage, honor God in your heart, you're getting cynical. Now he says, now honor God with your resources. Look at 7 through 12. He says, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and you not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Do you hear that? Return to me and I will return to you. You've, had, you've paid a high price by turning your back on me, the Lord is saying. But you say, how shall we return? And he says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe, 10%. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You see, they've grown cynical towards God and they've stopped tithing. They've stopped obeying. God gave Israel a nation laws. And in those laws, it said, you are to take the first 10% of your harvest and bring it to the temple that the priests can eat and that my servants can have food, that worship may continue among my people. 
And they've grown cynical. They're looking around. Where's God? Where's justice? What good does it do to serve the Lord? And so they're bringing their lame leftovers. They're not honoring God with their tithe. They're not doing what God said to do. And the Lord says, because of that, you're under a curse. Anytime we disobey God, we're bringing the curse of sin upon ourselves. The only way to experience the blessings of God is to walk down the path of God's blessings. That's why the commands are there, because God wants you to experience his blessings. He says, quit walking off this cliff. The blessings are over here. You don't want to obey me? You're going to head off the cliff into greed and enslavement to the idolatry of money and wealth. But I can set you free from that. Honor me with your money. And then he says, let me address the trust issue, you cynic who don't trust me. When I tell you to give and you say, I can't give, how am I going to have the money to give? I've got to put kids through school. I've got weddings to pay for. I've got to pay these bills. I've got credit cards. I've got all this. How am I going to do it? And he says, as he continues in verse 10, put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you for you a blessing until there is no more need. Put them to the test, he says. See if I don't meet your need. I read something this week that I thought was great. He says, God promises to meet your, meet your need, not your greed. I said, whoa, that'll preach. God promises to meet your need, not your greed. But he promises to meet your need. You've grown cynical. Where's the justice of God? I don't need to. I mean, all this giving him honor my money. Seriously, I'll give him this pocket change. And the Lord convicts you. No. I can't afford that. He says, test me. Test me. And then he says, when you honor me with your money, I will rebuke, continue in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So as the Lord calls them back to obedience, he reminds them that he can be trusted to take care of their deeds, not their greeds, And as they return to obedience in the area of their finances, he will restore his glory in their life. How have you grown cynical as it relates to finances? Now, God doesn't call you to 10%. That was what he gave Israel, 10%. And actually, there was another 10%. And then there was another 10%. And then there was like every seven years, don't fully harvest the field so that the poor have something to eat. So it's really not comparing New Testament versus Old Testament when you say, do we have to tithe or not? Because what you really should be asking is, do I have to give three tithes and then not fully eat all that I make over the rest of the seven years and all that? So really, that's not the question. The question is answered in the New Testament when he says, how much have I given you in Jesus? The New Testament talks about it not in the shape of of laws, but in principles of your response 
should be, how you treat your money should be in response to how much grace I've given you. In light of this purpose of making worshipers. That's the water we swim in, is to make worshipers and the next generation of worshipers. And he says, I've given you a church family. I've given you marriages. I've given you kids. And I've given you money. And that's what it's all for. So don't grow cynical and think that I'm not working because I am working. I sent Jesus. And so when you look back at Jesus and you warm up the flame, you'll realize how much grace I've given you. And then all of that, your church, family, your wife, your kids, your money, all is laid at the altar. And you realize, God, it's not mine. It's all yours. How do you want me to steward this marriage? How do you want me to steward these finances? How do you want me to parent my kids? How do you want me to treat my fellow church members? How do you want me to live? Because you bought me with a price. That's what the gospel does. It inflames your life. It empowers your life. It motivates you to do it all with joyful worship. Stewards is what we're called. Managers. I used to be a money manager and a steward, a money manager has a fiduciary responsibility. If they use your money for their purposes, they go to jail. God says it's all his. You're just a steward. Manage it for his glory according to his purposes. Finally, as we come to the end of the book, we see their cynicism on full display in verse 13 of chapter 3. He says, your words have worn me out. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? He says, you have said, it's vain to serve God. You've said it's vain to serve God. What does it profit us to keep his charge and walk in, in repentance and grieve before the Lord of hosts. You ever get that cynical? What good does it do? What does it even do? What, 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 what does it matter? The Malachi responds this way. He tells a great contrast. Verse 16 says, Then there's those who are fear the Lord. Then there are those who feared the Lord and they spoke with one another. So he pictures this little conversation of two different people. One group standing around going, I don't even know why we obey. I mean, it's pointless. There's no justice. God's not even paying attention. What's the point? There's no, there's no point. I'm not going to walk around grieving my sin. I'm not going to honor God with my money. This is ridiculous. And there's another group going, wow, I've been convicted. I need to honor the Lord. Verse 16, the Lord paid attention. And the Lord heard them. And the Lord opened a book of remembrance. And the book of remembrance was written before him as those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And he says, they shall be mine. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Whew. 
So what does the Lord say when our heart is cynical? Warning number six. Remember, God is paying attention. God is paying attention. You think it's pointless to continue to honor God when you look around you and you see everyone else just frolicking in sin and getting away with it? You think it's pointless to sacrifice again and again and to give yourself away again? This is pointless. Does God even notice? Absolutely. He notices. Now, when I read this, I think he's like me. He's got to open the book because he's going to forget. And he's going to write it down in the book of remembrance. That's not what it means. It means he's going to bring it back up. The Lord is watching everything in your life. And every act of worship that is flamed by the gospel flame, every sacrificial deed, every kindness of grace towards someone, every dime you give for the work of the kingdom, every parenting sacrifice that you make, every commitment that you enter into, every blessing that you give, every time you give money to help someone, every time you sacrifice your time to make a meal for the neighbor, every time you mow their grass because they need help, every time you do something, you share the gospel, every time you go give up your vacation to go on a mission trip, Every time you do something, every little kind word, every prayer, every blessing, every single thing you do, the Lord is writing it down in his book of remembrance. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming again. And when that flame comes, he's going to burn through and devastate his enemies. And the only ones who will be standing is those who are in Christ, hidden by Christ in faith in his work on the cross. And his grace and his forgiveness covers them. And then that flame will have a refining effect on them. It will burn every bit of sin that they have left. It will remove it so that all the standing is pure gold worshipers. And then God will open the book of remembrance and every deed that you did for Christ will be praise and glory to Jesus because Jesus fueled that, because Jesus empowered that. Because the Spirit of God produced that in my wicked heart. And every deed that you did to his glory will result in praise to Jesus on that day as he opens that book of remembrance. So don't you dare get cynical. God is paying attention. It is not in vain. Every deed will be rewarded to the glory of God. Father God, we pray that we will not let this gospel flame cool down in our hearts so that we grow cynical. Lord, we pray that you will remind us constantly of your grace. For behold, Malachi 4.1 says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall be, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. 
And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked. And they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And so remember the word of God and all that he has commanded. For there is coming a day when he will turn all the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Father, we look forward to that day. And our only hope of being faithful until you come is to stay warm in the affections of our heart at the embers and the flame that's blazing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to do business with the Lord during this song. I want you to know that we're up front. I'm going to be up front. I'll pray with you. If the Lord has convicted you last week and this week, especially over something that you need to to praise God that you've got victory over something or you need to admit something that needs to be dealt with, whatever, I'll be there to pray for you during this song. After the service, we'll be here to pray with you and talk with you. Do business with the Lord during this song as we praise the Lord through singing. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.